Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Trevor. And together, we're We're Occasionally Interesting, interesting. the podcast where a couple travels the world interviewing the most interesting people they meet along the way. Sometimes it will be sweet, often entertaining, rarely conservative, frequently informative, occasionally occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting, occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. All right, we have Bree, and we've just been hearing a little bit of her background and life story before recording. Uh, Can you give us like a brief one paragraph summary of everything we just talked about, and then we'll interrogate you a lot more from there? Yeah, for sure. Um, so hello, guys. My name's Ree, and I've been stuck in Thailand throughout coronavirus. I was working in tourism. Um, just before and so when the final lockdowns got put into place I made the decision to stay here in Thailand and see what my life would become after that. And what were you doing before COVID? Uh, Working in tourism so two and a half years uh, with a company we operate throughout Southeast Asia and India and we run youth travel um, focusing on different experiences that we can provide our travelers with um, and give them unforgettable memories that they can take away forever. What, what's uh, an example of an unforgettable memory? Uh, one of our biggest and best, I would say, is Sunrise Angkor Wat in Siem Reap, Cambodia. Uh, so we get up at 4 a.m., depending on the season. Sometimes it's 3.30 a.m., and we take the group down and we get to watch the sunrise over one of the eight wonders of the world, which I think is pretty special. That does sound pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. It qualifies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you get into being a tour guide? Um, I was tagged in a Facebook post um, by a friend who said, you're always in Asia, you're always having like lots of fun, you're doing lots of things. Um, they're looking for trip managers, so tour guides in the Asia region, and you should apply. So I went through the online application and was successful um, after a very brutal training, which lasts for it's like 45 days, which is like wow. combat army training and like... Um, <laughs> What's that TV show? The Amazing Race combined together kind of thing where they crush your personality. <laughs> you're under what? Like you're watched all the time like on Big Brother and yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Huh. Changed me as a person. <laughs> <laughs> How did it change you? Um, for the better. Better time management skills. Um, you learn a lot more about yourself and then other people as well, definitely. And finer details as well. Like as soon as you arrive in a new location... You've picked out the 7-Eleven, the closest toilets, <laughs> where you can get cash out and all that kind of thing. So, Were you going through this army training with other tour guides or was it just you? Yeah, all of us together. So there was originally, I think, 14 of us who started at the same time. Uh, we all had a job at the end of it if we made it to the end of the training. Um, but along the way, people are eliminated. Um, either they pull themselves out or they're asked to leave if they don't meet the caliber of everybody else. <sighs> so... It's kind. Of, it's really challenging. Uh, we finished with eight um, after the forty-five days, and we were all offered jobs at the end of that. So yeah, it was really good, really, really good. Now I think there's only maybe two or three of us left. Wow. From the eight. That Do you started. ever get to see the other tour guides for the company, or are you always alone? Um, we're always alone most of the time. But if we have a crossover, you could cross over in Bangkok normally, where our home base is. Um, or when your trip finishes in a country, one might be starting at the same time, and you kind of get some. So a few days to spend together. But most of the time, you could be six weeks to three months to six months not seeing anybody that you know, only just meeting new travelers that are coming through all the time. So it's definitely challenging at times. 
what kind of experiences are people usually wanting when they sign up for like a full package tour? Um, trying new foods, I would say, is the first one. Is trying new foods. Uh, nightlife is always something people want to experience too, to compare how it's different at home. Um, people think that Asia has no rules and no regulations, <laughs> so you can come here and be free. Um, so it's interesting for them to see their reactions when you talk about like the rules and stuff like that here. Like Thailand, for example, it's illegal not to wear underwear. And oh, I we didn't have, know that. Yeah, so it's illegal not to wear underwear in Thailand. No one polices it and checks, but... Oh, my goodness. It yeah, is I get have gotten in trouble many a time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like You're elephant like, pants are just asking for you to go yeah. to commando. Don't look at my pants. Like, yeah. you're not going to see any underpants. <laughs> so, um, yeah, food, nightlife, going to the markets, because Asia is big market style, so buying handicrafts and different things like that is probably the main focuses along the trips. And why do people choose your company over other companies? Um, we're reputable, so operating since 1962, so it's well established, um, the itineraries are set, uh, affordable as we briefly discussed before when comparing to other things, and it makes it easier for people to travel, they feel safe because they're in a large group, um, especially in Asia we get a lot of girls coming along, um, whether they're solo or small groups, they feel being safe with everybody else, so that's good like that so we've been operating for a long time people usually do the european tours and then they look for something else and they say oh they're in asia too so we'll keep going with them have you noticed any major differences in how people on in the groups interact with each other than like people in regular society like what social boundaries are not existent or yeah i think people are a different version of themselves when they're on the trip I only get to meet them as their trip version of self, whereas when I see when they go home on social media that they're a lot different to the person that I met and that I knew, Uh, the opinions they have on like posts and the way they present themselves. So after the trip I notice a lot. Um, On the trip you can kind of see like how people interact on the first night and I have certain things that I like to do and say that kind of lets me figure out what kind of a person you are. Like what? So (laughs) in the first couple of days I like to bring up a discussion if you were hit or smacked as a child um, because it kind of gives you an indication if you were disciplined um, what kind of household you grew up in and if you're going to respect like the people who are in charge of you on the trip being whether that myself or the local guide we're working with or whoever's directing like an activity Um, and you can get a pretty good indication when someone says like no I've never been smacked and you think okay it all makes sense. Like, your whole personality. <laughs> like, because they're wild sense. and uncontrollable? Or? or because they're just disrespectful and they push mm-hmm. the boundaries too much. Whereas if they were told to kind of cool it when you're a kid, you can kind of identify the differences um, in things like that. You try and find common interests between everybody as well. And say, oh, you know, like, Susie loves uh, no, ice skating. And this guy over here is in an ice hockey team. So you try and kind of get them together and see how they interact and run ice breakers and play games and things like that with them too, which is exciting. It always results in never have I ever. <laughs> just going to sexual things straight away. We've got to tone it back down. Being like, guys, just chill. You just met like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> have a civilized conversation. And yeah, it's good. It's a lot of fun. So you get to see... A lot of different people and how they interact and sometimes people approach you and ask you questions and be like oh I've never you know never made any friends before outside of high school and I don't really know what to do and you have to learn and be like okay well let's have lunch with this person today and we they like this so ask them about this and you can it's amazing teach teaching cues. people how to be friends yeah <laughs> let's go and be friends so uh-huh. yeah it's really cool it's really cool 
Do you, do you get really uh, diverse background, or is there pe- people usually coming from one country, or? Um, majoritively, it's Canada, the U.S., Australia, um, the U.K., and then you get some Europeans. Uh, we have had some Indians on trip, some people from China also, Japan every now and then. Um, sometimes you get some Spanish-speaking countries, um, and they're usually your best passengers, the ones who are um, English-speaking second language, because they're worried about missing deadlines, timelines. You know, we have to run everything to the minute um, to make sure that we make flights and things like that. So they've normally got printouts of the itineraries. They've translated them into their own language. They come and ask you extra questions all the time to really make sure that they make the most of their trip away and... And if they're from like a lower economic background, then they are even happier to be there. They've yeah. saved up all this money to come on this trip. So, you know, they value every second of and every piece of information that someone's telling you. So, mm. yeah, it's great. You meet a lot of different people, a lot of different people for sure. It kind of changes seasonally too, depending on like which countries have holidays, university breaks and school breaks and teacher breaks. So you kind of get a wave of different people throughout the year. You know what's coming up. What's not coming up, so it's good. It's good. Have you like learned things about psychology or humanity since working on this job that you before before you had it, you had a different conception of or anything like that? I think that people are a lot more self entitled than I was aware of. (laughs) Um, Can you give an example? I grew up like I grew up in a small coastal community, and everything was like revolved around everybody. And then on these trips, you really see that people come from higher privileges than what I experienced growing up and they expect everything to be done for them like you order their food for them you make sure that the right things are on their table like you have to make sure that the staff are carrying their bags and their luggage and that you have to mum them that little bit extra and nag them a little bit more because they're not used to being independent they're used to being codependent on their nannies or their cleaners and different things like that and Mm they'll bring 27 or you know 54 outfits to have enough for the whole trip so that because they didn't think that they could do laundry and it's like well where did you think that everybody who lives in asia did laundry like oh i just assumed that they didn't do laundry because they're developing countries what and you're like you're like what what do you mean you've never done like you've never done your own laundry and you think that everybody here wears dirty clothes so you get people like that yeah wow yeah oh, I can't drink stilled water. It has to be sparkling water and, you know, those kinds of situations, which you've got to alter your personality to cater for, which is interesting, definitely. You have to alter your personality? I have to alter my personality, yeah, to cater for them, to find a happy balance. Um, Because they write surveys on us at the end of the trip also, so um, they'll pinpoint, like, my personality, my customer service skills, my organization, and then everything about the trip as an actual product itself too. So we have key performance indicators, which we have to meet. So we have to make sure that we look after everybody equally. So it's challenging. How do you like strike the balance between being your authentic self and like not feeling like you're compromising your core values and making sure everyone likes you and you get a good grade? Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, having an extroverted personality who talks controversial topics at times, um, especially like if someone makes a comment which I don't agree with, it's really hard to kind of pull back and I understand that they don't agree with what I'm saying um, but they don't understand that like we both disagree on like what they're saying kind of thing so at some points you just have to like breathe and walk away and be like I can't be involved in this discussion 
So generally we don't talk about our religion, um, sex, like the rights sometimes, unless it's relevant to what the topic is that we're talking about, the relevant country, because we try and avoid political conversations and um, gender talks and sexuality and things like that, because you never know. So like the only conversations happening in 2020, yeah. you guys aren't supposed we, to. We can talk about them, but we have to make sure we can diffuse it immediately if someone says something that's offensive to somebody else in the, in the group, because... Not everybody shares everything about themselves and you might ruin someone's whole experience just by a comment that you make. So we have to be watching and listening like all the time, but then it's not like it's not we're not teachers, we're not in the schoolyard, so you have to be responsible for your own actions too. So you have to make sure that yeah. everyone kind of Sounds knows. so stressful. Yeah, you're like, Okay, we're getting up at sunrise at three thirty AM and make sure you don't say anything about this political party because you're gonna annoy everybody in the group. <laughs> we can't talk about certain leaders. Uh, we can't talk about these things, but yeah, so it's it's difficult, but then you kind of, like, can bring it back to a local topic that kind of changes everything, and then everyone gets, mm. oh, okay, let's talk about that then. So let's talk about, you know, equal rights or gender rights in Thailand, and then people change their minds and mm. forget about it, and you just content, continue on. So it's good. Or you use your local guide to your advantage and say, like, hey, we're having a problem over there. Could you go and, like, start a conversation about some random, some random <laughs> thing? Yeah. And they go, they go and do that for you. So we have a strong, nice. strong bond. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, I can't today. You're like, I just really can't. Oh, like, oh. can you please go and talk to Steve over there? Because he's driving me crazy. And they'll go and talk to Steve for you. So it's good. It's good fun. You generally use the same local guides? Yep, most of the time. Um, so you can probably develop a relationship with them as well? Yeah, we get a really strong relationship with them. Um, we contract different companies uh, in different regions, again, and they pick out their best local guides who can work to our standards that we want. So we want like high performance, um, also for them to understand Western culture, because mainly we have Western demographic of clients, um, who can be funny and relatable and stuff too. And we do talk about controversial topics. Um, they're more comfortable talking about it than other local guides might be who have a more traditional like setting of being a local guide kind of thing. So I work a lot in India, and I have a local guide who I worked with for... I think three trips almost back to back. Um, so that's over a period of almost three months. Mm. And we grew a very strong relationship of working together. I knew what he was going to talk about. He knew what I would talk about. He'd make like relevant jokes. I could make relevant jokes. And we would work together on making sure people understand things but still have fun at the same time and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's really good. It's a lot of fun. We learn a lot about them as people and they learn a lot about us as people too. So we're able to work better together because I know exactly what I'm going to say when I'm going to say it and the same for them too so even the same jokes like we use the same jokes back to back and I still think they're funny and I still (laughs) laugh hysterically at his jokes and he still laughs at my jokes (laughs) that's nice (laughs) yeah so it's good so everyone thinks you're both really funny (laughs) they're on point 24-7 yeah it's like they're almost rehearsed this (laughs) yeah we almost have pretty much so yeah it's great we have a great team and did you say that there's a sustainability focus? Yeah, so we have a sustainability focus. Um, I was hired on the basis of uh, please make sure you're um, you're aware that you're going to be working for a business and not a non-government organization or a project because that's what I was doing before that, working for social enterprises and volunteering a lot. And so they were like, make sure you know that this is a business and it's not focused on sustainability and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, I understand. Like, I need to develop my skill set further and understand the other side of operations as well. So I came onto the team 
with that being like, yep, I can do it, going through my 45 days combat training and amazing race tasks and being like, you're really going to wear that in front of a client and you're really going to act like this and blah, blah, blah. And then as I started working for the company, um, it was more evident that they were taking like more direction towards sustainability. And so they already had liked me be- because I was already doing those things and I could help pioneer it within our oh, team nice. as well, which was really cool. Yeah, so I was able to work on a few small projects with them, um, support some local Khmer families, uh, making tote bags that we could sell on the trips so we could encourage people to buy the tote bag instead of using all the plastic you get at 7-Eleven um, and small things like that, being like, hey, it's great for your laundry or your wet swimmers and you can use it for this, this, this and this and those small directions. And I have a tattoo on my arm which says, say no to plastic straws. Nice. So my groups would just be like subconsciously brainwashed throughout the trip <laughs> from like watching me with my sustainability habits and then like seeing this every day and they would come up to me in the market to be like, Re, I need to tell you something and I'm really proud. I'm like, what is it? Like, we bought bamboo straws at the market. Mm. I'm like, great. I want to see you use them the whole time we're on this trip. So that's really good. And we have a pledge um, as well for sustainability to take care of people, planet and wildlife. Um, so the things that we don't, for example, in Thailand, we don't go and ride elephants. Um, we work with ones who are supported in rehabilitation centers that are hands off most of the time as well. Um, so we try and run our programs and different things that we do where we support local artisans or things like that. And then as part of the rebranding, they're going to take a step towards um, the sustainable development goals too from the United Nations. So mm. even more of a focus on that, which is going to be good um, to see how that plays out. So yeah, and that's worldwide too. The company is doing all of those things. So it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. How did you first get interested in sustainability? Me? Um, the household I grew up in, we grew up on a, far- a dairy farm in New Zealand and then we moved to Australia and... My parents were always conscious of water wastage and electricity wastage uh, for many reasons. Like in New Zealand, it was just mainly to save money because we were running the farm and, you know, it's seasonal and things like that. And then also when we're in Australia, you have drought season, so you can't waste water. Uh, We'd be in drought and you're limited to one minute showers and different things like this. So mainly it was focused around money and economy and then at the same time, we were learning about like the environmental benefits as well that my parents would explain to us um, too. And then I went to good schools um, in crap areas, but they focused on sustainability a bit here and there too. And I had really supportive teachers who kind of found that that was something that I was interested in and mm. they would help me to push it kind of thing. I was that hippie girl on the playground who was picking up rubbish during her lunch breaks. <laughs> me too. Yeah, <laughs> hugging trees and shit, you yep. know? So it was kind of like that. <laughs> And um, I just kind of kept doing it, and it's always been a focus of mine too, becoming money conscious and then realizing like what's happening in the world and how we can reduce it and things like that. So I'm just like, why? It makes sense to me to be like that. And everybody who doesn't understand, I don't understand how they don't understand. So, mm. yeah, all the small steps, which is good. And I'm glad to see that secondhand shopping is now a trend um, to stop fast fashion because fast fashion has so many has so many downsides to it and especially here in Asia you experience like the people in Bangladesh and Cambodia uh, working in that industry and how bad it is and people aren't aware that what goes on behind to get there they're closed now so yeah there's lots of different reasons in all of that yay (laughs) playful 
Um, you mentioned that now you're currently working on a project with something to do with cannabis. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's the details of that project? Um, so it's a social enterprise based out of Canada. Um, they're a online education platform about cannabis and the legalities and the regulations, mainly in Canada, um, to help educate people if they want to transition into understanding. So if you're in the medical field and you don't quite know what to do, this is a stepping stone for you to meet experts who can then help you in your practice, um, you know, to start... To, like, um, implement it to part of somebody's yeah. wellness well, program? Yeah, exactly. So they can start, you know, giving them the correct oils and how to balance it and what to do. So it's not teaching you how to make the best hash brownies or how to mm-hmm. roll the best joints. Um, it's all of the science kind of behind that to understand the plan itself. Um, my role within the company is to do the education programs with the migrant labor workers who have mm. been exploited here in Asia. Um, in agriculture, fisheries, textiles, and construction. And we hit the target hotspots to see like who we think is going to be exploited into the cannabis industry. Um, because, you know, if you want to use cannabis for this wellness item worldwide, you don't want to know that, you know, your flowers or your oil... Um, has come from people who have been trafficked in Southeast Asia and it's made its way over to the States or to Europe or to Australia or to New Zealand. So we're trying to we're trying to interject the supply chain um, before it gets bad. So How exactly are you doing that? Um, I have a mission this weekend, actually. I'm going to an area outside of Chiang Mai with a lady from Bangkok. Uh, we're going to do an outreach program with the Hmong tribe people for the first time. Um, they're already decriminalised for growing hemp here in northern thailand so we're going to go and see what their what their farm looks like what they're doing who operates it who manages it um, how many people work for them how many hours a day they're working Uh, we kind of get the gist of what they what their rights are at this stage um, let them know what they're entitled to and then from there we'll have another program with them in a workshop to kind of say these people might approach you um, and ask you to do this this and this these are the key factors you need to look out for um, about what's legal in Thailand and what's not, and you need to call these people if if something goes wrong. So that's um, the one we have this weekend. In August, I went to Rayong, which is a fishing area down near Pattaya, um, with people who had been trafficked from Cambodia into Thailand, so illegal refugees that the Thai government is aware of, um, but they don't have any rights here and in Cambodia. And so we just go and explain things to them. Um, if you get in trouble, these are your options, what you can do. Like the fishing boats you're working on are illegal. Um, you could be at risk for this, this, and this. And then the foundation, um, the lady who runs the foundation, she actually runs live human rescues as well. So she'll take a boat from Thailand down into Malaysian and Indonesian waters and rescue people who have been trafficked um, wow. and are slaves. And she'll try and bring them back to Thailand and then get them residency, citizenship, or try and get them back home to wherever they're from. So she's a badass bitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's great. I get goosebumps when I talk about her. She's Aww. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. She's so great. <laughs> so, yeah. So I get to see her this weekend. And we've only just started working together because cannabis is pioneering very fastly, uh, very fastly, very quickly here in Thailand. So it's new for them and it's new for us to be on the ground um, for this one, too. So it's cool. It's cool. It's a good experience. Very cool. Yeah. And we're campaigning. Um, as well for the sustainable development goals also which will go live early next year um, to alter some things um, the sustainable development goals of the cannabis industry in Thailand and not the, the cannabis industry on a global scale uh-huh. um, for them to pledge to make sure that it's a slavery free 
industry, they have the chance to implement those rules and legislations and laws for every country as soon as it gets legalized everywhere. So we want them to focus on that. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and also to eliminate human trafficking worldwide too, because under the SDGs, there's a lot of loopholes which don't protect everybody. So we need to make sure everybody's protected. Like you can protect males and females, and then it doesn't like include kids, or it might just be women and children, and then there's loopholes for the males who can be exploited. So um, people can actually be exploited and trafficked and slaves under like legal under legal things here and there. So wow. we want that to change. That's intense. I didn't realize that there was industrial hemp growing in Thailand. Yeah. That's got to be pretty new. Pretty new, yeah. So uh, around 2017, 2018 is when the laws were starting to come in for medicinal. And then um, the Hmong tribes, because they've been doing it forever, um, they've been decriminalized. They're allowed to do it. It's one of their main oh, one wow. of their main materials that they use for everything. So the traditional northern style clothes are usually made from hemp. Um, so they've had to alter everything for them. So they're the one, the one exception. Um, it crosses over with Laos as well, so Laos is among people with the same thing but different. So <laughs> they're the ones that are allowed to to do to grow hemp, danchong as they call it here. So yeah, things are changing very quickly, very quickly. That's awesome. What a cool thing to be a part of, like such a special part of this industry, and like yeah, s- starting it from ground level to make it good. Mm. that's awesome and it kind of all just like landed in my lap at once too it was like you're gonna stay in thailand okay great are we gonna connect you with this foundation who's doing x y and z awesome this is your tour guide connects with you uh no so the company in canada the social enterprise in canada were like oh we've got these connections in thailand we'll like introduce you you can network you can connect you can do everything and it we hit it off great so like okay cool well this is now happening so you can go and take part in this and more and more just keeps like falling into my lap and I'm like okay I've got all this time on my hands but at the same time no time so it's good <laughs> it's good it's good uh, what kind of uh, NGOs and social enterprises were you working for before you became a tour guide um, one in Cambodia uh, we focused on sustainable development and rapid tourism um, by providing free English classes to one of the local villages on the islands so that started in 2015 and, and I joined 2016 Uh, or maybe it started 2014 I started in 2016 um, and we would just run classes every day so we'd have seven classes a day from kids being aged three years old to adults who were in their 60s Wow. Um, basic literacy and numeracy skills and then we'd also teach them about the environment uh, about western society and certain aspects of science and things like that too so that they were kind of on par with everybody else Um, the island kids have a lot lower of education than the people who grow up on mainland that's just general they're in a poorer community they don't have the same the same opportunities so their schooling like Khmer school would only go to you know like middle school ages they wouldn't have higher education after that so we would try and motivate them um, empower them and let them know that if they wanted sponsorship we would try and find them sponsorship to move to the mainland where they could further their education wow yeah develop skills and then try and get jobs and stuff like that so Telling them that it was okay to break traditional stigmas um, and that they didn't have to just do what their parents asked them to do. Respecting culture at the same time and every family's understanding that things were different, but that was another major challenge too. And I learned a lot there also 
um, about that. So that's where I spent a lot of time, like 2016, 2019, on and off. Mm. Um, I was doing that, and then I was working with Elephant's rehabilitation program in the middle of Thailand as well. I've done that a few times. So that's been really cool. Also, I think that's, that's yeah, they're the main two ones. Wow. Yeah, which is awesome. That's awesome. I've seen some crazy shit, which is, you know. Did you always know that you, like, is it a priority for you, for work, to make sure that it's something that you feel really aligns with your morals? Would you ever take a job that wasn't for good? Um, I don't think I, I, maybe before I might have, but now, because I know that I can flourish within the things that I like, I think I'm going to compare a lot of, a lot of job opportunities to what I've had previously, um, like I can offer you this but what are you going to offer me is yeah. kind of what I'm thinking at the moment so during this this period um, where I can't work it's been really difficult to try and see how I can apply the skills that I have to work in an online world or how I can change what I know and do what I know into something that's going to be applicable for the near future which has been quite a challenge because I don't have any of those online skills um, everything's quite hands on so yeah it's been a challenge but there's job opportunities which are appearing here and there, which um, I can apply the skill set, but then I also don't have tertiary education, like a degree that they want you to have for X, Y, and Z reason. And it's me trying to like tell them that I can literally do everything that you ask. I just don't have that piece of paper that says you are you have a PhD of whatever yeah. kind of thing, which is, I think the biggest challenge is, is that. But yeah, so from now on, most jobs will align with what I'm passionate about. Um, especially tourism when it comes back eventually there's going to be a big change I think in the attitude of travelers of what they want to see from now on a lot of people mm. have had a lot of time to reflect on what's important um, what do you think what do you think are going to be the big changes what are people going to want to see? we think like the surveys that the company's done and stuff and like what we're seeing posted online and we're tracking everything of course when we get the updates is people want more outdoor adventures now whereas mm. for a period of time there it was kind of like that people didn't enjoy going on the outside tours uh, where you went to X, Y, and Z sites in the local city and you did things like this. They found it too hot. It was too stressful. Um, they just wanted to get those one-hit-wonder Instagram shots, and that was it. So our sightseeing tours might have been like two, three hours, and we could have dropped them down to half an hour to an hour and a half just to get those photos and keep going. Mm. But what we're seeing now online is that people want to be outdoors more. They want to do like more hikes, for example, is probably the easiest one that we can cater for everybody. And those outside activities, you know, going kayaking in certain areas and things like that. So people are going to be, want to be outside more than what we were before. Less time on the bus, I would say, which is going to be great because I like being outside too. So it's going to be good for us like that, for sure. And I think people are... The entitled travellers are going to tone it down a notch as well and be more appreciative to actually be on holidays because yeah. it's going to be at least a year to 18 months since this all started that people haven't been able to travel for. So they're going to be appreciative to go on holidays, I mm. think, which is going to be really nice to see. Definitely. On the reverse side too, I think the locals are going to appreciate tourism a lot more. Yeah. Mm. They were tired of it. It's they were drained. Yeah. They were sick of people just coming them and treating them like shit and inspecting everything and now they've actually realised... What an impact no tourists have here. Um, yeah, so I, I'm excited to see the other side of it too and hear what they say when we can come back, which would be great. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing being in Thailand now of being like everybody knows that we're long term. There's like a different kind of 
I don't know. I just feel like there's a different relationship versus previously just being white. Everybody always thinks you're here for like a weekend and that you're a trashy tourist and whatnot. And now it's kind of like, oh, you, you've been in my country. You know my country. Like, Yeah, you understand what's going res- on. Mutual respect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely like that for sure. When you have your regular places that you like to go to and they realize that you've been coming in for a lot longer than a 30-day tourist visa would allow you to or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Um, is there any advice you want to share with the listeners or things you want to tell people to do or if any final words of wisdom? Um, or not wisdom. Hmm. Secondhand shop. <laughs> Trade clothes to friends. Um, and when travel restrictions are lifted try and target areas who would have suffered the most um, during these times like researching if countries have um, government compensation and pensions and stuff for for their citizens um, because yeah it's going to be a long time that people have been without work I think that's fabulous advice yeah. I haven't yeah. even considered that that's really that's smart everyone's going to you know pick five star resort destinations that have really cheap deals that are going and you know that you don't leave the resort once the whole time but you don't realize the impact that has on the the local economy because yeah certain countries are gonna fade very quickly Hmm. i think and you know seeing all those advertisements coming up online all the time where um you guys example before on one of your one of your places you got to stay during covid that it was you know the price had dropped severely um there's going to be a lot as soon as certain countries are allowed to fly they're going to really drop their prices and things are going to go crazy like that so yeah doing some research before traveling when everything changes is probably the best the best one for sure nice very good advice yes well thank you so much for doing yes it's been a pleasure getting to know you for this you're welcome thank you so much Bye, thank you. <laughs> yeah.